Bruising Banner Podcast. Banner Podcast. Bruising Banner Podcast. What up, what up, what up? Welcome to Bruising Banner Podcast. I am your host, Rob G. And with me, as always, is the legendary Brew Crew. What up, fellas? I got water, I got, you know, juice or whatever. He's like, y'all need twin legs? <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do. to everybody is, does Delaware have an actual culture? This is the podcast that we talk about beer, but we also talk about a lot of things that's happening in the world. Politics, movies, anything really that comes to our mind while we're here. Sampling these brews. Grab a drink and pull up a chair. <laughs> <laughs> Am I delayed back? Nah, you better now. Word. Yeah, worse than peace. Why are we doing this? This is not, no. This do not. No, it's not the time or the place. Nope. I mean, come on. Well, because they got killed, Yo, you know we roll got killed on the verses. I had to I had to show my respect to him. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that was what I was doing. I feel you. That it makes sense now. It makes sense where how I didn't understand at the beginning. Yeah. And actually that's one one of my favorite uh Cameron songs. I'm not that that, that thing do not. It's still not. That's probably my that's probably my favorite camera song. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite. It's yeah, one of my favorites that's, too. That's that's all the way tough for <laughs> even, sure. Even though when somebody made fun of him, he was, I don't know if y'all saw that, where he was saying, was like, get him, Cam. He was like, a gooby gooby. Yup, that is exactly kind of how Cameron sounds. He's like, what the hell are you talking about, bro? <laughs> but they, but they, like somebody said it, uh, Harlem was for the swags. That's why Dipset is cool because of the swag. And then Young right. had the lyrics. So that's why the locks, the locks had more hits. It's just. Facts well, we yeah. knew that already. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just I don't know. Both of them agreed to do it together. That was well, that was the, they're going on tour. So they're going on tour. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was good. Uh, good plug. Um, yeah, for sure it was. All right. What up? What up? What up? Welcome to Bruising Banter Podcast, where the topic is the rocket and the brew. Well, that be the fuel. I'm your host Rob G, and with me, as always, the legendary brew crew. What's going on, fellas? Uh, what is going Hi. on, everyone? How you guys doing this week? I'm Bye. good, good, good. We down the man today, Dev. Shout out to uh, he had a birthday party to attend to. Shout out to his father. Yo, Happy second. In reference, uh, in, in reference to Dev, he would probably be doing this if it, if he was on the show. Uh, shout outs to Usher. Uh, yesterday, uh, if you're looking at this live, Usher had 8701 came out, and oh, it was his 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary. Hey. This one is one of the one of the best ago. albums. I know. 20 years ago was crazy. Yeah. This month, this month of August, 20 years ago was crazy too. That thing that took him to. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they, that went on for about a year. They had a concert. They did a concert thing after the And fact. then he led, it, it went on for longer than a year because he, he led into con, to confessions with that, the next one, and that was 04. Right. So yeah. that boy was, that song Yo, that shout was out. on fire. Shout out to Chris Brown. Just because he hated Chris Brown was still uh, was still listening to Usher. Listening to Usher wanted to be something when eighty seven oh one came. So yeah, shout out to Chris Brown. I'm sure Usher will say the same. This is uh, episode one thirty of Bruising and Banter podcast. So we do have a great guest with us this afternoon. So I want to get him into the room from Proximity Malt. 
Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen, Craig Fleehart. <laughs> welcome, back, back, welcome. Hey, guys. Welcome. Welcome Thanks back, for welcome me back, welcome back. <clears throat> that was horrible. No? Okay. <laughs> I thought that was pretty solid. He didn't, do, he didn't do his vocal exercises before the podcast. Got to warm up. Okay. I thought it was pretty solid yeah. myself. I thought you it was pretty good. You better get you some, you was, need to get you some was, tea. From, from what you normally do, it was not as enthusiastic or as good. Welcome as back, we welcome back. No, sure. That's too much. That's very <laughs> good. <laughs> 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 you somewhere normally you somewhere in the middle there <laughs> that was even worse actually <laughs> hey, you can tell when you're trying you can tell when you're trying so hard i was just trying to bring it to another level <laughs> oh this is one, episode 130 and we do have a great guest with us this afternoon like i said we got uh greg fleet from proximity mall but before we get into all that we always need to know what people are drinking so what are we drinking today? Greg, what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking one of my favorite breweries and one of my favorite customers ever. Uh, this is Pulp American Hazy Pale Ale Citra Motueka from RAR Brewing in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah. So they're not too far away. Um, they're killing it. They're doing tons of tons of beer um, and using pretty much all proximity malt. So. Nice, nice. And good, good guys. What's the uh, ABV on that? Uh, this is 6.2, so it's not too not too high, but it's a little high for a pale ale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. All, right. All right, Lou, what you drinking? Uh, I have a Elysian. It is right here. It is called the Salt and Seed Watermelon Goosey. Uh, other pronounce it uh, Goze or Goza. Uh, it looks, it's, uh, it's weird. I didn't think it was going to look this color. Uh, it's golden. But it does have mm. a lot of hints of uh, salt and watermelon in it. Uh, it's made with, uh, it says here, keep the salt, hold the seeds. This gose is 100% natural watermelon with kosher salt, bittered with huel, that's H-U-E-L-L, melon, and northern bure hops. <laughs> uh, salt and seed dishes up a confounding pucker to the palate. It, I didn't pucker. I didn't pucker. It wasn't as sour <laughs> or as, uh, I didn't do that, Elysian. But I, it is it is a good, it's really good. It's a 4% alcohol by volume. It came in the bottle, 12 ounces. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, for Goze, or what is it? Goza. Goza, Goza man. Goza. Yeah, Goza. <laughs> Ever since I called it the other thing, it's just. <laughs> yeah. For for, uh, for what this style of beer is called, it's a, it's a really good uh, version of it. I, li- I enjoyed it. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take just one though. I have just one. Though. Oh, just one. Okay. Yeah, just All one. Right. All right. I ain't drinking because I'm I'm obviously driving. I'm so. driving. Okay. Please okay. don't. Actually driving, but okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I ain't actually driving, but I will be soon, so I can't be I got drinking. You. All right. Sounds good. Well, good I got you. a beer. <laughs> <Say> that. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> Rob G. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's been a long week, sir. Yeah. I don't know if you drunk any beers in the middle of this week, but I know today you do have a beer. Yes. Would you like to tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, and I think I always drink a beer on Taco Tuesday at least. If I don't drink any other day of the week. That's true. Taco yeah. That's true, Taco Tuesday. I never know, though. Some days some days I come in and you're like, I didn't drink nothing all week. Then you're like, I drank every single day. It's, it's all up in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I'm trying to cut back on, 
a lot to drink. In. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's too many to taste. It's yeah. hard to come back. Yeah. I got the uh, cascading reactions from uh, First yeah. State Brewing. I mean, First State Brewing Company. There you go. Put it up a little closer. It's the uh, their Belgian style. Get a little closer. Their Belgian style wit beer. Wit, wit beer right there. Wit. 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 5.5% ABV. Um, you got the uh, lemon drop hops, Amarillo, Citra, uh, Holotow. I don't know how you say that. <laughs> Holotos. That's, that's Holotos. right. Holotos. Holotos. <laughs> you got Holotos in you, nigga. Wow, bacteria up in that thing. You don't, you don't want that up. <laughs> nah, no, that's that hot man for everything. <laughs> you, also, you also got local pilsner grains and wheat and oats and you also got some lemon orange and lemon zest some coriander and grains of paradise and uh chamomile um i mean you could never say you chamomile. don't know us in a first day brewing beer. i was about to say you read that off the can yeah that's amazing i love it <laughs> yeah it, it, i do i do enjoy that because there's most beers do not uh it is very educational. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I appreciate that. You know, I like to educate. Yeah. I mean, Yo, dude, I wonder, I wonder if they do that so you don't ask them. Don't ask me shit. It's on the camp. Leave me alone. I put it all out there. Right. <laughs> we already did it. Don't ask me any questions. I don't, I don't even. Do you taste the chamomile? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean, they make. I haven't had a bad beer from uh, First State. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a good whip beer. So if you like, Vit? if you like Vit beers, this is <laughs> for you. <laughs> a Belgian style. I mean, I don't. T- I mean, I don't taste the. Cor- yeah, I guess there's a little spice spice notes in there. So I guess that is the mm-hmm. coriander and the and the um, grains of paradise. Because that's. I'm not sure what grains of paradise really is, but it is a peppery type. <laughs> I don't know exactly. Yeah. How what is it? A mixture of seasonings? I'm not sure, but it's like they're hard. And it's like, and they put, people put it on like steaks and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. It's like a kind of a cross between like a peppercorn. Yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah, kind yeah, of okay. like a really tiny. Okay. Little, hmm. yeah. okay, guys, I like to go back to my beer real quick. If you are uh, at brunch and they be drinking mimosas, this is a perfect substitute. If you don't want to drink a mimosa, this is a really good brunch type of type of type of thing with the four percent is real drinkable as well uh question for y'all salt on our watermelon some people yeah i mean i do it i don't know i don't eat watermelon i've I've tried it it's fine i mean they say it it draws out the juiciness i mean because it pulls the water would you rather have would you rather have a regular watermelon or or salty watermelon i've had it both ways it's it's all fine oh both of them what about with mustard have you done that yeah, I haven't done that yet. My daughter, my daughter did it. It looked right. like it was totally disgusting. Right. It's it's like weird, it? but it works. It's weird. I'll, did you? you I like, like watermelon. I oh, like really? I eat watermelon. Okay, I love I love watermelon. I'll eat it every day, all day. So, Greg, can, you have but... you've had salt and mustard on your watermelon? I've never done salt actually, but um, my girlfriend was like, "Hey, went, I've heard this funny thing. People are trying it, and the reactions are the best part, right?" Because mm. I, I was like, "Well, shit, I'll try it." Put it on there and took a bite, and I just kind of was like. Huh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's funky, but it, it kind of works. Um, it takes some of the uh, edge off of the mustard, and yeah. there's similar like earthy flavors between the two. So 
you know what? You know what? You know what takes the edge off the mustard? Not putting it on the watermelon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's squirting just mustard in your mouth? <laughs> Put some watermelon in my mouth and take the edge off. Yeah. <laughs> I had a water. I went to a, a Mexican food truck and they gave away. They were giving away these lollipops and the lollipops were watermelon lollipops with the Tajian salt. Uh, the Tajian oh, yeah. spice. Yeah, now that's all right. That's Man, all right. Listen, that was. That was I wanted to find a watermelon with some Tajian and put and try that for sure. But the uh, the after you got off the Tajian and it was just the watermelon lollipop, it wasn't as good as it was. It didn't taste like a watermelon. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've had watermelon so many different ways. I've had it grilled with. uh, I had it grilled. I've grilled with with salt and and then Mm -hmm. had like. Ice on there with so that was delicious. So I mean, yeah, watermelon is a versatile. It's very versatile. Very versatile. Yeah. Very versatile. Really I heard somebody was talking about uh, cantaloupe. Not so much though. Cantaloupe and like honeydew. Uh, they're just like, they're, they're they're the terrible metal. Somebody like cantaloupe tastes like gray. <laughs> and another person was like, "That was very porta potty of you to bring up cantaloupes." <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> Sorry about them cantaloupe lovers out there, but it's a trash fruit. Yeah, hey. it, it does the, smell. It, it does taste like trash sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It needs to stay on the vine. I mean, I, I yeah. can do it on a small a small scale, but I don't like melon at all. I don't like honeydew uh, at all. I, I remember honeydew when I first had honeydew. I was on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that's why <laughs> we was kids and we was like, "Yo, they gave it to us and they put, had it in a nice little bowl." Man, we ate that shit. We was like, "You associate honeydew with planes, man?" <laughs> yeah, but and that's all. That's how I remember not to ever eat it again. Right. Right. And then, like, yeah, that's supposed yeah. to be, oh, we in the plane, it's upper echelon fruits. Look at these fruits. Yeah, dumbass little kids. Yeah. <laughs> and it says honeydew, so you think, oh. Yeah, oh, this is about to be good. Listen, I see dew on the grass and honey mixed with the honey. Like, it got to be fire. Not they should call honey. that shit honey don't. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. Well, we, we don't have Greg here to talk about watermelon. <laughs> Thank God he ain't talking about cantaloupes and honeydews. I'm sure. <laughs> he, he can talk about watermelons, though. He like them. I do like watermelon. We have a few parade on here this, before. This is Walt. <laughs> <laughs> We're good to go. He can like, Our favorite is uh, the honeydew melon. <laughs> no, it's not. That's <laughs> yeah, funny. I don't know if anybody. I've, I've never seen a honeydew melon uh, beer. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It's a reason. It's a reason. It tastes like gray. Nobody wants to drink gray. Well, I don't think it really has a. a I mean, it has a oh. bitterness, but I don't think. I don't know if that would be a good beer. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. Well, that, that Huel melon hop you were talking about in the in the Legion beer. That uh, that does have some like honeydew melon character to it. That when you use it the later, Huel, the Huel melon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there you, yeah. Well, well, there you go. So, there you so, go. So, so it's a little bit close there. enough. Sneak sneak attack. Which, uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it probably is honeydew. It probably is. It probably is honeydew melon. But they uh, they just didn't want to say it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's undercover. Just <laughs> 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 to get you to drink it, just so they can sell them. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> all right, well, we are here to talk about all things malt, and we got yes. the man to do it for us here. 
Uh, so, uh, Greg, the floor is yours. Tell us all about Proximity Mall and what what's all about Mall. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you guys, you guys have, have probably drank the result of of malt uh, plenty because it's in, it's the basis of every beer. So that's that's where we get, um, you know, we get uh, tons of that like malty sweetness, color from the beer, um, roastiness, toastiness, uh, fullness of body, dextrins, like that all comes from malt. And then malt's essentially just sprouted grain that's been dried out. So it's on the very very simplified version of it, and so that we get we get sugars from the malt and then the malt gives the, the yeast eats the sugars and creates alcohol co2 um and then other flavors because you know yeast can produce a lot of different things too so at the very base basis of of malt is just the sugars providing the sugars a lot of the flavors textures um and colors to beer um and it, it's pretty much universal that it's in every beer and it can be from primarily it's from barley um two row barley is the biggest thing um and then it also comes from like millet, it can come from wheat, um, it can come from spelt, oats, um, and malting is just a process. So you can malt almost any grain. Um, you can malt corn, you can malt all sorts of fun stuff. And some, some of them are easier to do than others. Um, so what we, what we primarily do at Proximity Malt is we do uh, you know, malting barley for brewing, all malt craft beer, and then we do uh, wheat as well. We have a fantastic wheat, and we do some rye. We do oats, and uh, then we do a bunch of specialties. So we actually have a roaster, and we roast a whole bunch of stuff. So we're located not far from you guys. You guys are in what city primarily? Delaware. Well, we're, uh, Wilmington, we're in Newcastle. Yeah. Newcastle County. Okay. okay. Delaware. So we're, we're, we're southern Delaware, so we're in Laurel. So we're not. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's not too far yeah. away. Are you guys not at all. Yeah, not too far. Yeah. Um, so we, we, the reason why they they put this plant, this huge new German engineered, beautiful malt plant um, in the uh, Delaware area is because we saw that there was barley fields in that area that weren't changing. They weren't shrinking. They weren't expanding. They were just staying the same. And that's pretty rare uh, in the United States to see that because it's either there's expansion or contraction, but it was just a stable barley growing region. Um, and primarily it was for chicken feed because there's uh, Purdue plant out there. There's Tyson. There's a whole bunch of chicken farms out there. And if you drive around down the south part of the Delmarva Peninsula, you'll see huge trucks going through with with chickens that are you know flying, oh, yeah. flying everywhere. All the time. <laughs> in them stinky yep. factories. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So part of the reason why we went down there, a big part of the reason was like, oh, well, let's we want to get closer to the fields. So we want to get closer to our customers, and we want to reduce that transportation a cost and um, carbon footprint and impact. And uh, transportation costs money, you know, transportation costs money, it costs fuel, it, it, it costs time. So we, they're looking to try to shrink that whole supply chain down um, and make closer proximity to our customers and to the fields. So we started talking to farmers and contract with them saying, hey, you're growing great barley for feed. How about we give you this malting barley seed that is German, you know, it's, it's European seed. It's really fantastic stuff meant for all malt brewing. You grow that for us, then... You know, we'll contract, we'll bring, buy that for you at a premium because it's, you know, better quality than chicken feed. And then we can take our plant, you know, a few miles away, malt it, roast it, ship it, you know, all from the same location. So we've really tightened up that supply chain, which is nice. And now we're even starting to do some pilot deliveries on our own. So we're kind of cutting out that entire um, supply chain there, too. So we're trying to trying to just keep it as tight as possible and it keeps it reliable, too, which is really nice. Okay, the, uh, Amazon of uh, malt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Greg, you mentioned that you could malt any grain. Why Why do you guys malt barley? Why does beer malt it predominantly with barley and not, like, say, corn or oat? 
Yes, it's a good question. So um, there's every starch molecule inside of that grain is covered with um, a protein, like encapsulated with a protein. And some grains have more of that protein around them. And barley has uh, a little bit less of a protein around it, but enough to still contribute like the foams that we want, the bodies and dextrins that we want. And it also has a really robust husk on it. So the husk actually aids in filtering out the, the louder in the beer um, through the, in the wort. So, you know, we crush the grain and you still have those husks intact. It acts as a filter aid in the bed, in the brewing process. Okay. So it really helps to have a husk. Um, barley's a really nice, clean flavor. It's a fairly robust um, pro, you know, grain to grow. It's, it's fairly resilient to a lot of things. Um, it's been accepted for a long time. And a lot of it, too, is like it has that lower protein. It has that nice balance of things, and you can get good extract, good sugars out of it. Um, and it, it emults well. So it's, it's both agronomically, you know, it, it makes sense financially. Um, mm-hmm. It's also a pleasing flavor. You can do a lot of things with it. You can roast it. You can toast it. You can, you can make a whole bunch of different process, you know, things out of one single kernel of barley. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's very diverse, I think. And I think that's, that's primarily why people use it. Wheat is a second, probably the second most common. Um, but that is not as popular because it does not have that husk and it has a higher protein content which is good for certain things like wheat beers and you want that really big fluffy head. Um, it, but you still have more haze from the, from a wheat. Um, so it's, it's not as friendly to a brewer who's trying to make like a, a lager, let's say, you know, something clean, crisp and, and delicious and controllable. Wheat's going to throw a lot more kind of unpredictableness to your, to your product there. So, um, yeah, barley's been accepted as as the primary brewing grain since like Babylonia. So it's been, right. it's been, right. a, I think it's also just people just, no barley and beer. Gotcha. Barley. So, what else does uh, malt actually use for besides beer? Yeah, it's a great. Actually, that's a great question because a lot of people don't ever ask that question. But uh, we do supply um, a lot of bakeries. Um, so, uh, malt is often powderized and then put into um, certain treats. Like uh, a lot of it really goes really well with chocolate. So, like um, whoppers are malted milk balls. It's just okay. That's, oh, 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 yeah. 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 Vegetarian burgers on the menu. I didn't yeah, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, Breaking news. Yeah, uh, malted, like malted. Um, you know, back in like the fifties and sixties, they had uh, uh, malt ice cream. You know, right. to go to a malt shop, and that was the same thing. It's just malt powder added to like chocolate ice cream. That's and like, it just boosts, like a thickening agent and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it just boosts okay. that sweetness and and uh, it's like Whoppers is the best example. You might do a Whopper and you have that really distinctive like um, bready sweet right. kind of character, kind of airy, kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Extra wise, maybe you guys contracted with bakeries and and other besides just uh, breweries. Yeah, so we we do yep. provide a decent amount of uh, of malt to uh, bakeries, uh, bakery supply companies, and and part of that, part of the reason we do that is because we have such a sophisticated, such a clean uh, malt house. Everything is stainless, um, and it's kept really, really well. So we can have higher uh, food food safety standards okay. that a lot of malt houses okay. can. So um, so we're able to provide that other. Yeah, I'm still chain, I'm chain still on that you can malt any grain. Like what? What would I want a oat malt for? Like, 
if it's yeah. not for beer, like because you're saying wheat and barley are the main accepted, who's who's malting oats? And is there like a, even a, a a realm for that, like a niche for that? We sell a ton of malted oats for hazy IPAs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for hazy. Yeah, gotcha. so o- gotcha. oats are oats are really, really. I mean, you, you've you've probably eaten a bowl of uh, just you know instant oats, and those are just rolled and gelatinized um, raw oats, and that is that same texture you can kind of translate into a beer. So that hmm. that really th- kind of thick, creamy, milky kind of feel um, contributes actually to the beer to the hazy IPA. So most hazy IPAs have a significant amount of oats to them, and most people are using like rolled or flaked. Um, but the problem with those is again, they're like, they're gummy. So you yeah. put them in a mash, you try to run water through that. It's just going to get stuck and you're going to have to add a lot of people add rice holes, which are just, you know, the shell, the, the husk of a rice kernel. Um, and those are really cumbersome to work with and they're itchy and they're pain in the butt. So, um, we started actually multi notes and keeping the husk on the oat. That way you can get the same kind of thing. You can just mm-hmm. mill it like normal. It has the husk and then you can louder like normal and you get a great, great tasting, um, oat product without all the hassle. Um, so mm. that's, that's, that's the reason why we started doing that. And it's been hugely beneficial and you can use them for like stouts and porters yeah. to add that nice silky texture to beer. So, so it's a little bit more about texture than anything else. So you guys do do mm. them, but they're more obsolete, you know, like more by request type of like the obsolete malts or, uh, they're uh, like a specialty malt. grains. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So okay. we, we have a categorization we call like base malt and base malt is something that you can use for a hundred percent of your beer. So you could do, you know, Pilsner, pale ale, um, our two row base, which is kind of our classic American, you know, malt. Um, you can even do like Munich, uh, Vienna, so which are more like German styles. Uh, but then there's, we get into like specialty malts where you can't use them for the whole amount of your beer because they won't convert themselves, which is a whole other discussion about, you know, um, if that malt can convert all the starches in itself into sugar through enzymatic process. Um, some of them can't because we kill them too high. We kill those enzymes off. And so they have to be added to other things. Plus, they're just like so intense you wouldn't want to use them for a whole whole beer, like like a chocolate mm. malt, something that's okay. really really roasted like coffee. You know, oh, that's okay. going to be you wouldn't want a whole beer like that. It would just taste like like the worst black coffee you've ever had in your life. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and you're not going to get any from sugars out of it. You're not going to get alcohol, so stuff like that. Yeah. You also you also do some of the roasting too uh, at proximity. Is that what you said? The roasting yeah. and the toasting. Yeah, yeah. So we do. Most in the toast. <laughs> so the, the basic the basic process overall is that we you know we get we get barley in or wheat um, and then we steep it for a certain amount of time with with air pushing through that steeping process. So we just let it sit in water essentially, and then it starts to sprout like a like it's trying to grow. It's trying to grow because it thinks it's in the ground, mm-hmm. um, and so it starts trying to grow. Mm-hmm. And then that, that little tiny um, foot, that little acrospire, is going to pop out of your of your kernel. And then at a certain point, once it's a certain length and it's a certain texture and it's a certain, you know, friability is what they call it, which is how much it squishes, essentially. They'll take that malt, move it over to um, a germination. Well, first they'll steep it and then they'll move it into a germination kettle. That germination vessel, then then that'll sprout. And then at that point, when they see that it's ready, they'll start pushing air underneath the whole bed. So there's a false bottom on the bed. They'll start pushing it underneath that to stop that process to dry out that grain. Mm-hmm. And then... Once that moisture's out of that grain, they're going to start pushing the heat up and up and up and up. So sometimes it can get up to like 220 degrees in that kiln. And we've got guys go- going in there with no special protective equipment besides boots and checking and what? checking. Yeah, checking. Why? Because they have to go check. Have, <laughs> no, I mean, why, why don't they PPE'd up? Why don't, why don't they, they don't have no protective gear on? Why? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, they're they're in as much as they can do uh, because they can you can spend that much you can spend a certain amount of time in that in that facility without really damaging yourself. Okay. Um, so they're actually going in with sanitized boots and jumping into the grain, taking samples um, with a partner, obviously, and then they have safety protocols in place. Absolutely. Um, and then they're coming out and then they're testing that grain and making sure it's where it needs to be. And they're saying, oh, it needs five more minutes, it needs three more minutes. So it's almost like cooking. You know, they're they're really doing yeah. this by feel because it's agricultural product. Like we could get a, a bunch of truckloads of a grain in that is vastly different than the trunk level before it. So we have to make sure that we're getting the same product at the end of the day uh, with, with using the craft of these guys' skill to kind of, when they, when they jump into the oven and grab a sample and they (laughs) test it, what are they, what are they testing for? Like, like, yeah, they're they're testing. Like, are they they like tasting it? Or like, what's what's going on in the the testing process? What's so funny? (laughs) When they jump into the oven, they are jumping in. It's 212 degrees. They're not hanging out in the oven. They jumping in and jumping out. That's a hokey pokey right there. Yeah, (laughs) in and out. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they're they're jumping in and they're they're taking samples and they're taking it back to a uh, lab that they have. So they're taking oh, it back okay. to the so lab. Actually analyzing it. Yeah. So we're doing oh, cool, uh, cool. moisture checks to make sure the moisture is within our spec. Um, they're doing they're doing sensory checks. So they're actually tasting to make sure it tastes kind of where it needs to be. Um, they're doing color checks and then they're doing um, primarily doing friability checks. So they're putting it through this machine that that kind of tests how much effort it takes to crush that crush that piece and how it and how it crushes too. So that's kind of been our major factor for seeing where the conversion rate is on this on this um, malt and where it where it is in its its killing process. Um, yeah, it's wild. And uh, the the more heat and the more time, um, uh, you get darker greens. So you can go all the way up to like a Munich, um, which is you know like a kind of a German darker green. Um, and then you can do tons in the in the in the germination kiln vessel. You can do tons in there. Um, but you can also take like a pale, uh, two row or a Pilsner and you can take that out and it's already done. It can be packaged and sent out and used, but you could take that and put it through our, our roaster, which is pretty, pretty unique to us. Um, a lot of people use a roaster that's like a like coffee roaster. So it goes in there, it goes in around the drum, it gets, you know, a bunch of heat and, and a certain amount of, um, uh, moisture pushed into there. Um, but ours is actually this crazy, like coil roaster that's electric powered and it's a continuous process. Um, so we have really, really tight controls over our roasting program. Um, so we can push a certain amount of, um, a certain amount of moisture through there, a certain amount of temperature through there. Um, and we can really tie dial it in we can get crystal malts, which are basically caramelized, uh, malt, um, really light to really dark. Uh, we can do chocolates, we can do, uh, roasted barley, we could do pretty much and everything in between. So we just came out with a brown malt, which is, um, Kind of like for porters, old school for porters and stuff. So we can do um, we can do pretty much anything in that in the mall house. No, no, you which is talking, pretty cool. Now you were talking about um, proximity was is working on tightening their distribution, I guess, process or their their flow. So is proximity uh, nationwide or is it international? Like uh, in terms of distribution distribu- distributing their malt. Yeah, we're we're nationwide. So we actually have two plants. Uh, we have one in uh, Del- Laurel, Delaware, and then we have one in uh, Monte Vista, Colorado. Okay. And the one, in, so that's like Southern Colorado and another great malting barley growing region. That's pretty immune to kind of changes. So, um, that was our first one. That was about five, a little over five years ago, almost six years ago, we started that one. And then I think it's been close to four years in Delaware. Um, and then our, our headquarters is in Milwaukee. So we tried to kind of triangulate, uh, where we all are so we can be regional to pretty much everyone is, is yeah. the point. Um, cause a lot of the malting region, the, a lot of the malting happens, for other domestic companies in the Midwest, or it happens on the West Coast, closer to Washington, Idaho, Oregon area. So of um, those three facilities, you guys are only malting at the two, the one in Colorado and the one in Delaware? 
Correct. We do okay. have a very small like uh, pilot plant essentially in Milwaukee, um, and that's like a two hundred pound uh, one. So it's it's scalable. So it, it's a replica, exact replica of our other two plants. Um, same technology and everything, same roaster, but we can just do like two hundred pounds of something, see if it works, and then uh, scale it up to what we have on either coast. Um, and also, once or twice a year, they clean it out and they run coffee through it, and then we send it to our customers. Oh. So which is pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Right. Yeah. Do do y'all do, so do y'all uh package like individual like that a store store could sell for like home brewers or is it just like company to company type situation? Yeah, we do sell uh to homebrew uh shops. We do oh, okay. we sell directly to homebrew shops. We've got a bunch of good partners there. We also sell uh through a distributor called L D Carlson and they will kind of take our bags to and they'll cut it down to smaller sizes for, for mm-hmm. home brewers. Um I think they can order online. Um, and then we do have a, like a homebrew shop up in Milwaukee where people can come and, and grab smaller portions. But most of the, most of the sales we do are to, um, directly to breweries and we sell, oh, in, okay. yeah, we sell in 55 pound bags, um, 50 to 55 pound bags. We're transitioning to 55 right now. Uh, we sell in super sacks, which are like about a metric ton, uh, bag essentially on, sits on a pallet. And then that goes through a special advance thing that people have. Um, and then we also do bulk silo fills. So, you know, 50,000 pound truck rolls up and pushes pneumatically pushes grain into a silo. And then people just pull that grain right out and uh, use it, use it for their beers. Um, so we do that for a few free customers as well. Milwaukee home of the bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how, how long does it take from grain from coming in to going out? for the actual grain so it's usually about a one to two one day steep um and then a probably like a three to four three to three day germination two to three day germination and then a day of kilning so it's usually less than a week um total time for most grains um and then roasting is usually pulling from uh existing like a two row barley that we pull um it's already malted and then we'll pull to uh, make our our specialties because we do that a little in smaller batches to make sure we're not overproducing something that is moving slower than like our base malts. Yeah. yeah. And how long is the shelf life of that? Once it gets uh, to the- Yeah. Once it gets, I mean, once it's, once it's malted and ready to go, as long as it's kept in the bag and sealed up and you're, you have a, you know, fairly low humidity environment, it could be good for over a year in the bag. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. know that question, but how do you know, uh, estimate how many, uh, I guess pounds of, uh, malt you, uh, you sell per year. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I know. So our multi, mal, yeah, a lot. Our malting plants are both 204 metric tons. Uh, just, just one batch. That's just one batch. And we're running probably three batches per week. I think at uh, our Delaware plant, I think we're doing probably six or seven at the Colorado plant. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of grain. Yeah. And we're one of the, and we're, we're one of the smaller tons. producers. Yeah. We're one of the metric smaller tons producers. Is just a whole nother math. Yeah, I think you said y'all one of the smaller producers. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the big ones out in in, uh, Pacific Northwest and and Midwest, they're producing probably 20 times more or more than we're producing. (laughs) Yeah. Their quality is not, their quality is not better. Not as good as y'all's though. Okay. Well, it kind of depends what you're looking for. No, put it. No, man. No. (laughs) It's trying to help you out here, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) Craig's like, no, 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 no. Everything's fair. Everything's (laughs) all fair. We we produce, we produce malt that's meant for 
the all malt craft brewer. So it's it's lower mm. protein. It's it's more like a European style malt. So okay. it's um, the, the American two row has become this beast of a of a kernel. You know, it's like we don't use American um, developed uh, kernels because they're too much for all malt craft brewer. So the the American two row has been something that's been developed for the Miller Coors, the Budweisers, the um, even the Yinlings that need this crazy amount of, of, of enzymes. They need a crazy amount of uh, free amino nitrogen. They need proteins because 70 plus percent of their beer is going to be, you know, a, a syrup or a, a rice or a corn, which doesn't have any nutrients for the yeast. So they need something with tons of nutrients for that small 30% to really carry over through the entire beer. So they can have a decent mm-hmm. fermentation. Um, so we just can't do that. We had a, a huge, probably the, one of the biggest independent craft, independent brewers. It's a big lager house. Um, they came to us one time. We're like, Hey, we need seven full truckloads that, which was basically going to be like seven batches of, of malt huge for us. We're like, Hey, we, we need this run a pinch. We really need it. And we need this certain spec. And, uh, we couldn't sell them any malt because our malt was too much for the craft malt, all malt brewer. We couldn't get them mm-hmm. this crazy high spec that they needed because we just haven't designed our malt house to do that. We haven't you know, sourced the grain to make that happen. Um, so that's the story I like to tell because it's, it really shows that we, we, we could have made malt for those guys and made money, but we decided to do something very different and make sure that craft brewers like First State um, could get a fantastic all-malt craft malt for, for what they're trying to do. Yeah. Now, I know you kind of pinch, you kind of put into your hat when you said it, close to stuff because of proximity but is that what proximity is really is that what their the, the main purpose of the name is that we're, yeah we're close we're in your backyard yeah we're 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 closer proximity to our field for our to our growers we have you know really close relationships with our growers mm-hmm. um we have uh we're you know so we that proximity is there um, on the supply side and then we are our our malting house our roasting house and our shipping facility are super, super close. They're almost the exact same place. Um, and then we located ourselves to be close to brewing hubs, you know, so we have, we have Richmond, we have Wilmington, yeah. we have Baltimore, we've got, um, you know, uh, Asheville, we've got all these fantastic, you know, it's a drive beautiful. away. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, it's a drive very, away, but we're only, perfect. we're still from your, from a producer. We're only, we're less than eight hours away from the yeah. majority of everything on the West coast. Um, I'm sorry, in the East Coast and in the West Coast. So we're we're closer to everybody, and then too, like on the customer service side, we have we have a sales team and a customer service team that's bigger than almost any other malt producer, and we're not as big as those guys. So we have right. smaller territories, and we are out on the road all the time talking to our customers and trying to you know tell a story to new customers. So we have a really a really fantastic and robust team that's making sure that people are taken care of and that things are done the right way. So I think we're also trying to be closer to the customer relationship wise and make sure that, you know, that, that relationship stays positive. And if anything goes, goes sideways, cause it's, that does happen. I mean, it's an agricultural product, it's brewing process. Um, we can be there to, to help, you know, write the ship and make things right. Or um, if they get in a bind with another supplier, we can, we can help them out with the substitute and vice versa. So. Yeah. The Chick-fil-A of uh, Maul. Yeah. <laughs> they open on Sundays though. <laughs> no, I get weekends off. It's great. Oh, no, sorry. He gets Saturday and Sunday off. Excuse me. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> it's, 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 it's different from the brewing world. I had a question for you, but being as though that your your fields are in Delaware and in uh, Colorado, it's winter times in both of those states. How do you guys 
do an all round all do you guys have an all year round growing or how does how does your harvest go? Does it how does it last the whole year? Like how do you guys know that you're gonna yeah. have enough to get you through until the next harvest is ready? If yeah, that's, unless your guys are question. planning all year long. I don't know. So we we do something a little bit different as well because uh, again trying to mitigate risk. So we do uh, winter barley. So winter barley is just a little bit different of a planting thing. You can winterize almost any growing barley, but what we do is we plant it in the uh, fall or fall and winter ish. It starts to sprout a little bit, and then kind of once it's about maybe this tall, it just looks like grass. And winter comes and it goes fairly dormant, but it still is respirating, still scrubbing CO two out of the environment. Excuse me. And then it um it keeps erosion from happening in the fields. And then once spring comes, it continues, it starts to grow again, and then in about June we can get a harvest. So harvest time for us is June and uh they can get these massive harvests and they're putting it in silos of their own on the fields. And then it'll store for quite a while raw. And then we're bringing it in by the truckload, filling our silos. And then once that dormancy phase is over, which means that the malt won't do anything, the, the green won't do anything for a certain period of time. Because it doesn't want to, it, they've kind of bred it to not sprout on the field. Because if it was just sitting out there field, you get a big rain, it'll just start sprouting. So there's a certain dormancy phase that it has. So we, we keep it and make sure that it's going to do what we needed to do when we needed to do it. And then we'll pull that, those off to make our batches. So we, we get enough in one harvest to, to kind of hold ourselves over the entire year. And then we'll just take, you know, increments out of our storage silos to, yeah. to make that work. Wow. Um, yeah. So most, but most harvests are a spring barley. So they'll be har- They'll be planted early spring, and then they'll be harvested um, probably like early midsummer. Um, and there's really we're not har- we're harvesting late spring. Yeah, we're harvesting late spring, which also allows the farmer to then go turn around and immediately replant soybeans, and then they can have a whole second harvest. So if you don't do that, it's just one per field. That you know? actually, that actually was going to roll into my next question. I was like, y'all are planting this barley on this land all the time, isn't that stripping? You mentioned something about erosion earlier. Isn't that stripping the nutrients from the, from the soil? But you answered the question by saying they get to, they get to plant the soybeans, which I'm assuming is a totally different type of, uh, type of thing from the, what it would take for the barley. Yeah. It it regenerates the soil. So it puts puts a bunch of nitrogen back into the soil from from its roots. Um, and they're, they're complementary. So the barley and and the, you can do that for for generations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So can can somebody come into the facility to like tour the facility? This sounds interesting. I'm just curious because I I need to see what's going on. You won't go into that. I was going to wait until we were off air, but I'm glad you asked. I, it was on my mind, too. Yeah. Yeah, we so love got doing... at least two of us that's ready to tour the joint. For sure. yeah, right. we, we love doing tours. Uh, yeah, you guys could bring cameras and do a little interview because uh, Matt is our uh, director of quality, um, and he's kind of oversees both plants. Um, he loves giving tours, and then Vic's our uh, – our kind of plant manager. So he's in charge of actually operations day to day at at the plant and they love giving tours. And it's a, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool thing to see. And you really kind of experience how much craft and how much skill goes into making malt, even though there's all these computers and everything's practically automated, there's still so much variable that they, that they try to, you know, make sure they try to mitigate. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible to see. So it's much more like craft brewing than I thought it would be. I thought it'd be much more agricultural based, but it's a little more like cooking or like, like craft brewing. Yeah. No, if somebody, oh, go ahead, Rob. Uh, no, you go. 
if somebody uh some you, you made a malt for a brewer a brewer and you gave it to them and then you were able to taste the beer but it was uh not like just good but just not what you were expecting can you tell that tell a story similar to that if that makes any sense, that's, that wasn't. A, was that a good question? Maybe it's not the malt fault. Maybe it's the no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it was. It was a bad experience. I'm saying you, you gave them. You gave them the malt, and then when they responded with the beer, you were just totally excited and taken aback by how that malt was introduced with the beer that was made. Not Actually, a bad yeah. experience, like a good, a good, a good experience. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a really good uh, story about that. Actually, um, so a good friend of mine, Aaron, is the owner of uh, Bosserhum Brewing Company down in Virginia Beach, and they do um, a lot of German style beers. So he's he's a fanatic for German style beers, um, and I'd had a lot of like German Bavarian style Hefeweizens that I thought were fine, that were good, uh, mm-hmm. but none that I thought were really like true to the original Bavarian ones that I'd had. Okay. You know, and, and and so I went down there, and I he was busy working in the back with his with his brew team, um, and I ordered a, a one of his Bavarian Hefeweizens, and I was just absolutely blown away. It was the best the best Bavarian Hefe I've ever had, and it was like rich and it was it was malty, but it was spicy. It was like everything you'd ever want, and it had the right color, which they're actually a little bit darker than you think. So a lot of times people are using like Pilsner malt and wheat, um, and I was like, dude, how how'd you get this as good? This is the right color, but it's still got all the texture. It's it's amazing. It's perfect. He was like. Yeah, this is this is pale ale malt, <laughs> which I was like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? Pale ale malts like are British malt, like it's it's supposed to be like a Marisotter British uh, substitute. No one in the right mind would put it into Bavarian Hefeweizen. It's just like no one would ever recommend that. And then and then that and then our Mid Atlantic wheat, which made sense because our wheat is is meant for that sort of beer. Um, and then he did like a Cara Munich, uh, so it's like a kind of a caramel kind of color. Uh, malt, which again, people wouldn't usually put in these kind of beers. Um, and I said, why'd you use pale ale? And he's like, well, I want to get that color, that nice texture, that foam and, uh, a little more body, a little more sweetness. It's a, it's, it's a low alcohol beer. I wanted to really get that in there. And man, I've been telling everybody about that since. Cause it's, it, it I never would have done that. And it right. was perfect for that beer. And it was completely out of the range of what I thought that malt could do. And he turned around and, and made it happen. And it's phenomenal beer. That's so, right, man. Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, that's really good. No, no. I don't know if you know this. That's another question. I don't know if you know, but who uh, who uses more uh, malt, East Coast or West Coast? <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. Well, I think probably if you, true malt. I mean, West Coast maybe because there's the, the hazy craze. There's a huge percentage of a hazy that's like flaked stuff. So um, if you're looking at just you know, pounds per barrel of actual malt, it might be West Coast. Um, but that's changed too because so many people are doing hazies over there. Um, I really, I really, malt, uh, the amount of malt in the beer contributes also alcohol level. So the more sugar you can pack into that beer, the more it, there's food for the yeast and the more sugar that the yeast eats, the more alcohols in the beer. So like barley wines are probably the best example of like the highest alcohol you can get, right? And those are just packed, packed, packed full of malt. So, in more high gravity brewing. So when people are doing big Imperial stouts, if people are doing, um, you know, double IPAs, that sort of thing, that's going to be a huge percentage of malt. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of Imperial beers out here on the West, on the East coast for sure. Mm, gotcha. Now, another, yeah. another question. It's kind of more about, about you, I guess, because a lot of people who might listen to the podcast before were like, Hey, I know that guy. 
He said <laughs> he loved companies that start with P. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. So, All my hats have P on them. <laughs> so you've been on the uh, the brewing side and the, uh, and the supplier side. Which one do you prefer? Right now, I'm preferring the supplier side, uh, but you know, like the producing side is is so much fun too. It's it's a different it's a different thing. You know, like what I enjoyed about the producing side was obviously the creative outlet um, and kind of being able to tell a story with with a product um, and then creating something unique and interesting and then the feedback of like and how much control you have over that final product too. And, and with, what's been cool about being on the supply side is. I've been able to kind of reach out to my friends uh, and make a lot of new friends and meet so many great brewers and kind of help them uh, create the best beer that they want to create, you know? So it's, it's much more of a supportive role, but it's been really rewarding to make those connections and leverage those connections. Um, And, you know, going out and meeting new people and then, and talking to existing friends and stuff has been, has been really cool. It's just, it's a different pace too. I mean, there's, there's obviously stressors in in sales and in, in, in marketing and, uh, you know, and being a customer service kind of representative, but the stresses are very different. Um, and, but over, overall, it's, it's been really fun to be able to kind of just see more of the region and, and meet new people um, and taste a lot of new beers and get surprised by what people are doing out there. Has been on, has being on the other side helped, help you with your sales? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I can, I can roll into a brewery and, and one of the first things I say, I was like, yeah, I was a craft brewer for almost 12 years. You know, and then so people are like, oh, okay, well, you get it. You know, you get what, what logistical problems we get, what we have. You know, we, you you could probably tell us, you know, I'm, I'm using X Y Z right now, uh, and I'm not super happy with it. What's a better What's a better option? You know, so I can I can really speak to the product, and I've used it for a while. precarious beer project. We were doing uh, like last three years I was there. We were doing almost 100 percent proximity malt for all of our domestic stuff. So I was using the malt. Yeah. Um, and so I can, I can attest to the quality and I can test to kind of what you can do with it. So it really does help. And, and people don't see me walking in as like just a sleazy sales guy trying to get them to buy something. They know if I was, um, if I was a brewer and I've used this malt before, like, I'm not going to just try to sell something they don't need. You know, it really is about trying to find the best solution to the, to the problem. And, and do you find a lot, a lot of, uh, I like brewers, make that transition or that is it rare that uh, they go like people would go back and forth or, or, or not? I think people find something unique about what we're doing and uh, we'll, we'll latch on to certain malts that they really love from us. Um, and then, you know, it's a, it's a big ask to get somebody to change the base of all their beer, you know, like just the, the basis of all their beer, like, go ahead and, you know, why don't you just go ahead and change it? Like that's, that's a big ask. And sometimes we do get people to do that and they, they really love switching over. Uh, but sometimes people will keep, you know, a certain malt that they're dedicated for their flagships, but then they'll take, you know, really cool specialties from us that they find are a better quality. Um, or they'll change, you know, their pills or malt cause they can't get the import stuff anymore, which is a big problem. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that recently is people can't get the, the British import stuff. They can't get the German import stuff, especially. And we're the only ones, one of the only ones that really have that low, low protein quality, um, Pilsner international style malt. So, um, we're able to supply them with that and they're able to keep rolling and keep brewing. So I'm, I'm assuming that's because of uh, COVID and stuff like that. The supply chain has broken down. Yeah, that and, and COVID, COVID was kind of the biggest instigator. Um, and then shipping containers were on an all-time low uh, in terms of availability. There was like a German dock workers strike that was happening too, so that didn't help anything. Um, so it was just kind of a perfect storm. And the demand for a lot of these import malts are so so up that uh, 
You know, these are guys that have small footprints. They can't keep up. They're just demands too high. Their supply is low and they can't get any more raw barley in. So they can't produce more. Um, and then some people are just kind of getting fed up with the idea of not being able to have what they need every day. So they're, they're switching to a, a local supplier who can actually supply them with what they need when, when they need it. Who's in proximity to them. Exactly. (laughs) You get it. You get it. I'll be here all night, guys. I'll be here all night. Horrible. I lost my question. That's that's what I forget for doing that joke. (laughs) 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 I really really do. Forgot. So there probably was a horrible joke behind it. <laughs> <laughs> so no, actually, actually, I guess it's more about like how many accounts do you think you say you have now on the West Coast that I'm at the East Coast that use proximity malt? Like how many breweries? Oh yeah, um, we're probably sitting close to 200 accounts. I okay. think on the East Coast. Um, so I have probably about a hundred of those. Is my guess. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm Delaware, uh, Virginia, DC and Maryland. And then I just, uh, took over, uh, North Carolina on Friday. So, um, it's a brand new territory for me. We don't have a lot of business down there. So that'll be kind of my new focus in the next few months is really getting down there and and seeing people. Um, Okay. So your, your spots are starting to Multiply. Hey. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is happening? <laughs> that, that was solid. I like that. that was the dad jokes are rampant. Happy Father's Day, everyone. <laughs> you know that that last one. That last one was barley a joke. <laughs> barley, this is horrible. This is horrible. We got to stop. <laughs> Oh, you said you said North Carolina. Is that all of North Carolina, or just like like parts yeah, of it? All, oh, all yeah, of all of North Carolina. Okay. So, so what do you, so what you do you do? To, up in there. So they, that's a big, yeah, uh, kinda, big brewing yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> North Carolina is huge, bro. I think you just yeah. doubled your whole region. Pretty much, yeah. It'll yeah. definitely be at least at least thirty percent bigger for me. Um, yeah. uh, but it's going to be. There's a lot of new. There's a lot of potential down there. Um, what do you, when you say when you say potential? How how do you do it? Do you just walk into a brewery and start talking, or do you? Talk, start up a relationship through email over the phone. How, how does it begin? A little bit of both. So what I'll do is I'll say, Hey, I want to go to, uh, you know, I'm going to go to Wilmington or I'm going to go to uh, Asheville or I'm going to go to any of these like kind of regions. And I'll say, you know, what are the, what are the breweries in this region that I want to try to cart hit and like talk to people. Um, and then I'll do some research and try to find their, um, their email addresses for the people that are decision makers or just call the front desk and be like, Hey, I'm going to be in town. I'm going to stop by. I just want to say hi. Uh, and because I want to give people a heads up, I don't just want to like drop in on people. Okay. Um, if I don't, if I don't get a, if I don't get a response in a couple emails, then usually I'll just swing by, see if the doors open, um, especially like the back door for the brewing area, and just kind of say, hey, you know, you got a minute, um, and really just start try to start a conversation with somebody about it, and uh, kind of see where, you know, where they're at with their brewing, what they're using currently, and and see if there's a spot that makes sense for proximity malt. Um, and it's just about keeping that relationship open and, and answering questions. Is there anything that ends up being wasted? Um, in the process? Yeah. So we do have um, what's called uh, food, what do they call it? Animal feed. So um, that little acrospire that grows during the malting process, that usually gets de-bearded in the, in the 
one of the processes it gets cleaned up. So it gets knocked off and then it gets, it just gets collected. We don't really have a lot of use for that. Um, so we sell that as animal feed to local farmers for stock, livestock and chicken and stuff like that. So the waste product does go directly back to the farmers. Um, and then we do go through a lot of water, but a lot of that's reclaimed and a lot of it's well. So it goes right back into the, into the system. Um, so it's, it's a pretty low, uh, pretty low energy consumption overall, given what we're doing. And a lot of our, um, a lot of our energy comes from renewable sources like wind and, and solar. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we try to keep it, try to keep it as green as we can. It still takes a lot of energy to create malt, but we, you know, we're doing what it can to keep improving that as well. Is there, is there ever been an opportunity where you, you've looked at a brewery and like, I'm not going to sell them my malt. There's only been one time I've done that. <laughs> and, uh, it was a brewer that I rolled up to and it was basically a house and it looked like no one was home. And there was a sign on the window, but it was actually part of a house. And I was like, if they're making beer, they're making like, you know, five kegs a year and this looks sketchy. I don't get shot. So I didn't go in. <laughs> Safety is paramount. Yeah. That was about it. That was, that was the only time I was like, nah, not worth my time. But any other time, um, you know, if it's not a sketchy place, you know, it's kind of sketchy. It doesn't really matter. I'll go in and talk to people because everyone, everyone. <laughs> needs it's kind of sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> I can deal with a little bit of sketchy. I can deal with Right. Sketchy. Not all the yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It just depends on the stabbing possibility rating. You know? <laughs> oh, the stabby rating has to yeah. be the most for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like That's it. terrible. I like it. <laughs> I wonder if they really brew beer or they brew something else. Like, like maybe they mean moonshine or something. Maybe they didn't do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, they was making meth. That, they was making meth. Yeah, in, that, exactly. <laughs> in that side garage. Yeah. First rock's free. <laughs> <Right. laughs> you got beer, we got rock. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! No, no, well, we, we sell the distilleries too, by the way. So if it was moonshine, I still go in. Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Oh yeah, because they do use uh, grain and stuff like that, huh? Yeah, yeah, especially bourbon and any whiskey, basically. Yeah. Moonshine. Oh, that. That's, uh, yeah. Multiple uh, uses of uh, multiple again. Uses hey, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of grains. Great. Yeah. I did not know. I just, thought, I just thought it was bread. <laughs> yeah. well, I know I know it's beer. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I drink a lot of it, but... There's a lot of people that are using it for uh that use it for like bread loaves for stuff. So they'll put like malt powder in, in dough to give it a little more like sweetness and intensity. Um like um uh a lot of uh, pretzels, like Bavarian pretzels have malt yeah. malt powder in it. Yeah. But it are y'all selling the powder or are y'all just selling the malt to the to the bakeries and they'll make they make the powder themselves? Yeah, typically. Yeah. We'll just sell them the the, the malt itself and then oftentimes yeah. they'll they'll process it down to where they need it. But y'all also do process it down too. You you can also do that too. Y'all do that as well or no? Um the most we do is we do have a mill on site that we can pre-mill for any customer that needs it. So um we we'll mill down as as tight as you want to go to any any level of grind. Um but we have a pretty standard grind that we use that works for most people. So that's a mm-hmm. kind of go-to. Um, and then they'll, they'll run it through the mill. They'll spec it out. They'll make sure that it's where it needs to be before it gets packaged. Uh, but that's actually seems to be becoming more and more popular as people just want us to mill it for them. Cause we can get a really nice, a really nice, really spec'd out, um, the grind and people don't have to worry about adjusting their own mill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially for something like malted oats, which is a totally different morphology of grain. It runs through the mill slightly differently. So we can, we can adjust specifically for that. 
and then send it to the customer milled, and they don't have to worry about changing their mill gap and, and doing any of that. They can just throw it in the mash tub and be done. So. Right. Now, now, I know you, when we, before we started, you said you could probably talk about malt for hours, but I won't make you do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But I do have it's already been an hour, Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but is, is there something, I don't know, maybe it's just a fact that you want like like people to know, or a fun fact that you go in, tell, you go in the breweries and tell that, that that may not know about malt? Like, is there one nugget of information that you'd be like, oh, I didn't know that. I, I think the biggest thing that, I, that I'm trying to educate people on uh, that I've learned is is that um, I guess maybe two big things. The biggest thing for me is like just because the malt comes from Europe doesn't mean that it's the best malt for what you're trying to do. Um, there's a lot of people that believe, and I, I to be honest, I believe this for a long time too, that that malt from a certain source is um, is magic. So. I can't tell you, I've had more bad beers with fantastic malt than I've had good beers with bad malt. Like, I've had really good beers with mediocre malt because people know what they're doing and know how to work with that. And I've had terrible beers with really fantastic malt because people don't know how to make beer the right way. So it's not going to fix any problems. You have to make, in order to make the best beer possible, you have to have fantastic malt and really phenomenal process all the way through. Right. They, um, they always say it's not the uh, it's not the equipment, but it's the user. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. That's true. Um, I mean, I've 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 been to breweries where they're serving beer out of a kegerator, and it's like a keyser. It's like a homebrew shop, basically, and they're making some of the best beer I've ever had. You know, I've I've been to this you know little house that's on a farm, a hop farm, and there's um, Mountain Valley Brewing, and they made some of the best beer I've ever had in years and they're brewing on this like Frankenstein little system that they put together. So it's really about how you use it and how knowledgeable you are about it. Um, but you do have to have great malt. We can still provide everything you need in a great malt. Um, and also people are on this weird, like kick where everyone's looking for the lowest possible color in malt. So they're looking for the lightest color malt possible. The problem with that from a malting perspective is color drives flavor. The lower the color, the least less flavor you have, mm-hmm. and actually color is uh, indicative of, of kiln time and temperature. And if you don't kiln that malt or get a certain temperature, you're actually going to leave behind a bunch of stuff you don't want, like these weird grassy vegetal characters, these volatiles that you don't want in your beer. So it's this race to get this low color, but reality is that color drives flavor, and yeah. color is better for your beer and better for the consumer. And people are, are nitpicking between like 1.5 love a bond, which is a color rating that's like ridiculous, um, and two and a half love a bond. And if you make a beer with those two, you're not going to really see any difference between the two, you know. And the color, then the, the two and a half is going to taste a lot better than the 1.5. Right. Um, so I think people are focused. People focus on weird things about malt because I think there's not a lot of edu- education about malt. People are much more about hops. You know, it's a much sexier thing. Right. Um, but really, malt is driving so much of, of the industry. Right, because um, it's like the it's like the base of the uh, yeah, it's the basis and, of everything. And it's like with the hops, like you could just take the hops off the plant and throw them in. Where <laughs> like you, you quite, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's like a process to make the malt is not. You can't just throw the the, the wheat or the two row in into the uh, into the mash. You know, you, yeah. Can you yeah. make a beer with just hops? I don't think you can make a beer with just hops. <laughs> Right, no, just, you can't. Right. It'd be it's, hop, it's, hop water, right? Just, yeah. Right, it'd be disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you can, and you can make a beer with, like, hardly any hops at all. Right. You know, you can make a phenomenal right. beer, like right. a 
like a Hellas or um, a Munich Dunkel has hardly any hops at all, but it's all about the malt. You know, it's all mm-hmm. about the malt and the fermentation profile. Um, same with a lot of Belgian style beers. It's all about the malt and fermentation of the yeast. So that's what's, you, that's what's nice about those. And you know what? You got all these crazy names for hops and with the malt. Like how many different names for malts do you have? Is it just malt? Um, like barley malt? This, this is this malt? is our product guide. Oh, it's, no, never mind. Never mind. Well, this is this is basically right over here. This is a, a list of malts. Um, okay. So this is like kind of our base. This is going through some of our, you know, more um, more interesting kind of base stuff, our wheat, and then we get into like some the uh, European-style stuff, rye, oats, and then these are all like the specialty crystals, roasts, chocolates, all that sort of stuff, and then okay. like specialty ryes, barleys. And then we don't actually make any of these, but we just have them as a convenience to our customers. So our, um, you know, flaked barley and flaked oats and, and sugars and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah. So we you have, do, yeah, you have a have vast a menu. Yeah. Well, they don't actually need, it seems like, I don't know what they would need, but I feel like you have it. Shout yeah. Out, yeah. Shout yeah out so. to the 302 area code though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always <laughs> represent. We stay represent, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're Yeah. Your president from Delaware. Yeah, my my, license, my phone says Delaware. My license plate says Delaware because it's a company go. car. So <laughs> there you go. He changed when you once you change your phone number, it's real. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. 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 So, 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 have you? I mean, have you drank more? I guess in a week because now that you're on a different side, have you drunk more beer as a brewer or as a supplier? Because <laughs> you got to go to all these other breweries now. Um, probably more as a supplier. Yeah. Probably definitely a lot more different beers because I'll go to like, um, like when I went up to first state to just say hi to those guys, they sent me with like a case of beer and like, uh, uh, RER always sends me with like at least a case of beer and Burley Oak and like all these guys, they'll just like say, Oh yeah, thanks for stopping by. Good to see you. And they'll just hand me like a case of stuff they're excited about. And I, it's one of my philosophies. They've asked me, you want some beer? I'll say, I know I'll, it's my only philosophy is I'll never say no to beer. So um, we actually ended up having to buy a second like fridge for all the beer that I got <laughs> from nice. keep getting That's and then awesome. just, like, give it away to people and um, you know bring it to other accounts and stuff like that. So it's it's been pretty cool to to see kind of what people are doing with 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 beer. Greg is a one man beer share, <laughs> pretty much, man. I was get tons my, of it. I was going to ask my other question, but now now it's probably like why. Because I was going to ask you, because <laughs> now you said you're off on weekends, do you, do you homebrew? I'm like, but now I know why, because you get all this beer. I was going to ask him that, though. Like, do you still have that bug to brew? Um, well, funny you should mention that. I actually started a side project uh, with uh, some friends of mine down in Virginia Beach. So um, I came up with this with this brand uh, that I've been kind of rolling around in my head. And uh, so they're going to contract brew it for me. Um, and we're doing our first batch on Tuesday. So, um, oh, okay. the idea, the idea is like, you know, you go out to the grocery store and let's say you're like really in the mood for something kind of festive and interesting, um, and a Belgian style beer. Like, um, I love Belgian style beers. It's one of my big favorite things. Um, so like a Belgian golden strong, like a double or a, um, uh, fin du monde or like a triple, something like that. Um, it's so hard to get a fresh version of that beer. Like right. it's so hard to get a beer off the shelf that you're going to pay $20 for a four pack that it's going to taste like you want it to taste. Um, and being, you know, I took a trip to Belgium and was just blown away by the quality and how fresh and how like vibrant these beers were. Um, so the idea is you, we're going to make this Belgian golden strong ale that's in a four pack, hundred um, percent US, you know, us proximity ingredients, hundred um, percent us grown hops, uh, us uh, local lease supplier. 
but it's going to taste like like a delicious, fresh, imported uh, Belgian beer, and it's going to be less less money per per four pack than you're going to pay for an import that you're not sure if it's going to be fresh or not. Um, right. And so that'll be available in Virginia to start, and then North Carolina, South Carolina, um, and then probably DC soon after that. But and then maybe, <laughs> what's that? Right. Uh, isn't proximity in three hundred two? In three hundred two. But I, I live in Virginia. I know. So. But you got to play. Yeah. You got a Delaware phone number. You I know. Delawarean. You were a Delawarean until you just said that. Well, I'll, I'll go to Delaware soon. It's just uh, <laughs> brewing in one state and transferring to another state. So we're teasing, super easy. Yeah. Yeah. We're just <laughs> Delaware is some really how, good market. How do you, um, as far as the freshness, because you said it, you it's hard to find it on the shelves, it's fresh. Is that part of the what you're trying to do, or you just want it to be an American so you couldn't get it fresher than normal? Part or like, of, do you yeah. want them to pull it off the shelves at a certain time? How how do you want it to go? So it's it's double it's a double edged sword because it's we want we're designing this beer to be able to sit warm on the shelves for a long period of time, so it is and still be fresher than the imported versions because mm-hmm. the imported versions are going to come over warm on a ship and they're going right. to take you know, weeks to a month to get there. Um, and then they're going to sit in a warehouse at a distributor and then they're going to go out to another distributor and then they're going go to mm. the, go to go to the retailer who's going to sit there. Months. Um, yeah, months. So we're, we have great distribution partners who are going to take it and deliver it same day practically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so the only really wait time is going to be on the shelf waiting to be picked up. So it's going to be a lot shorter supply chain there. Right, um, right. And we're doing it in smaller batches. We're just doing twenty barrel batches every probably month or two. Um, oh, so it'll be want it. You gonna make them yeah. want it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it'll be it'll be a small amount, but it'll be enough to, to you know hopefully to, to supply the demand. Yeah. So you can always go yeah. to you'll always be able to go to Kroger. You'll always be able to go to um, Total Wine or uh, you know uh, Wegmans and find you know the or bottle local bottle shop and then find yeah. it and always be there and it's always going to be reliable. So that's the point there. Oh, so this, right. is, this is more than a project. This is just another business. Business, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got a little something. But is we got it, all it, right. Yeah. <laughs> he said three. He said four states in a district. <laughs> right. That is, <laughs> uh, is it? Are you just going with your favorite styles that are uh, the the European more styles that you can't? Are you just trying to? It seems like you're. I don't know. I want to put more words in your mouth about the the business that you're you're uh, embarking on. But it seems like you you want you love European and Belgian style beers, but it takes so, so long to get them. To, and when you get them, they don't taste like they did when you were in Belgium. And you're trying to produce that in America. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're I gonna. Like it. I like it. Yeah. So you want to do more than just the golden. Yeah. So it's going to be as yeah. simple as we can make it. So the max amount of products we'll ever have is probably four, but most okay. likely three. So okay. um, we're going to do. Uh, so the Belgian, like the, yeah, uh, Belgian Golden Strong is going to be available spring, uh, you know, spring through the end of summer, um, and then fall winter is going to be uh, like a Belgian dark kind of idea. So it'll mm-hmm. be like eight and a half percent, a little more like color and toast and rose to it. Um, so that'll be a little more like a Chimay Blue kind of idea. Um, and then uh, we're thinking about probably for spring summer as well, maybe next year doing like a Belgian blonde in cans. So the reason why we're doing bottles is a, I think there's a value proposition with a higher up gravity beer being in bottles versus cans, especially on the Belgian side. Like if you saw 8% Belgian beer in a can like this, it might kind of weird you out. Um, it would for me at least. 
I don't think there's the value in the can as much um, for IPAs and stuff like that. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But um, for, for me, bottles made a lot more sense. And also there's a can shortage right now. So right. trying to get cans and start a new venture with, with cans would be a disaster. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going with something that's a little more sustainable and a little easier to find. So uh, bottles made a lot of sense for us. And plus four pack, you know, like it's a 8%, it's going to be an 8% gold and strong. Like you don't want to drink a six pack of that necessarily. So uh, a four pack is a nice amount. And then um, we can also make a nice price point for that four pack. Um, so that that's kind of the reason behind what we're doing there. And then uh, we also want to make sure that it's competitive with, and very competitive with the import brands in terms of price. Mm-hmm. So the, I don't know if you said it, since I guess it has distribution and you said you were going on Tuesday, you said? Does it have a name? Yeah, yeah it's uh, called Float Fermentations. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's on your, it's on your page now, I think about it. Think yeah, about yeah. It. Uh, yeah, so uh, Float Fermentations, and we will have uh, the Belgian Golden Strong is called 8, just the number 8, in the Belgian tradition of the kind of Trappist tradition, they're just calling it a yeah, number. Yeah. Um, and then just keep trying to keep things as simple and streamlined as possible, you know. Um, and then the, uh, the Belgian Dark Strong will be a 12. Um, and then uh, if we do the Blonde, it'll be a 6. So, and that'll be that'll be in like twelve ounce six pack cans for floating down the river. You know, six percent beer. Right. Is it when you when you put the name? Oh, go ahead. When you put the numbers on it, that's the percentage. That's the ABV. So mm-hmm. traditionally, with the Trappist style uh, stuff, they were actually eight, ten, twelve. That all corresponded with a uh, gravity system. So it was okay. like how much sugar was in the beer to start before fermentation. Um, okay. And then it kind of morphed into a little bit more of just like a, a moniker. So just a name for kind of a certain style range, essentially, gotcha. or rough strength. So okay. um, we're using it kind of as a moniker for like the strength of the beers roughly and kind of the stages. So most like eight and tens in the Belgian tradition are kind of more in the triple golden strong kind of arena. And then twelves are almost exclusively dark strongs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Right. I love I, it. I right, can't wait right. to taste it. I don't, don't yeah, want to say, oh, well, well I'll, never mind. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, we'll, we'll send you our address. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I was, I was about to say, I, I don't know if anybody knows, but I love Belgian beers, but. Just go out. Just, just, just be, be, who you, be who we are, man. Can we have some beer, please? It sounds good. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And you guys are the first place I've announced it officially. So. Oh. Hey! <laughs> well, there we go. We got the Whoppers. And we, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> say the name one more time. I know it's float f- fermentation. Is that what you said? Yeah, float fermentations. And uh, so we're going to start putting stuff out on, on Instagram and Facebook soon. Um, float fermentations. Um, and you'll start seeing announcements and, and some media from us and some pictures and um, our graphics and all that sort of stuff. So. Where it's gonna be lean. It's gonna be lean. Uh, we're not gonna have a whole lot of merch available. Maybe might do some hats and some shirts and stuff like that. But um, it's gonna be just about getting good beer out to the right places, so you can have the beer that you want to have. You know? Right. So he, came, yeah, he, came, awesome. he came back with that four or five. So yes, Lou, he does still have the brewery book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, I'm not gonna do it, but you know what? I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's good, man. You can't you can't get rid of the bug. Can't get rid of the bug. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Any more questions for uh, Greg about uh, all things malt? I think I learned a lot about malt that I did not know. Yeah. I hope I hope the fans did too. I learned a lot as well. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anybody needs uh, wants to get all too. the about the malt, um, 
greg.f at proximitymalt.com. Or you can just go to our website and you can look me up, uh, proximitymalt.com. Um, happy to answer any all questions. Home brewers, um, curious people, professional brewers, anybody who wants to give me a shout, I'm happy to answer any and all questions. Quick question. If a home brewer did reach out to you or proximity yep. to try to get some malts individually, would you direct them to an uh, actual local distribution place or would you guys be able to give them enough for however many barrels they were looking for? So we can, um, especially in the Delmarva area. So if you if you're a home brewer and you're looking for malt, we can sell directly to you. Um, and you can come pick up from our warehouse, but you, we do sell in 50 pound, 50 to 55 pound bags. So okay. it's, it's a, it's a lot, but, um, typically, I mean, you're looking at a significant savings if you're going to just buy a direct, you know, bag of pills or whatever from us. That's good that y'all are allow that, that that's actually able to do. Y'all are able to do that. Another yeah. Yeah. For living in Delaware. Another <laughs> yeah, <it's not> <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's because it's in Delaware. Is that, is that uh, why? Well, no, cause he said if you're close to it, you can come. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought it was like, so, you know how the incorporation laws and stuff. I was like, Oh, you can sell, sell barley to sell malt to regular people. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, luckily it's, yeah. you know, it's not an alcoholic product and it's not right. a, necessarily a food product. So it's, it's kind of in this just, you know, commodity product kind of idea. So it's, it's not as uh, regulated as a lot of things. So it's pretty easy to sell to mm-hmm. everyone. Cool. Cool. I, th- cool. yeah. I think we'll make a malt shake um, uh, food truck. I don't bring back malt shakes. A lot there of you go. Malt shakes anymore, right? They don't make malt shakes at oh, all. Since, we, we had the charcoal pit. Not since the charcoal pit closed down have I had a even heard of a malt shake anywhere. The charcoal pit closed down. I know. Maybe there's like one open. <laughs> there may be like a couple, <laughs> but there used to be like fifteen of them. This one right here on two two is still open. That's still still rocking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one the one over by Goldie Beacom is is shut down. Uh. And there's another one on that used to be on Kirkwood Highway. That's not there anymore. Because right, because I'm, I'm sure this one, this is the original one on tour too. Because I had, that okay. had uh, Joe Biden and Barack Obama came there back in the day. So, oh, so they they may get that may be a historical site. They may never close. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Any more? Oh well, he already told how people can find him. Or reach him. <laughs> yeah, he, he, already, sure did. he already did my job. He know he know the uh, he know the process. He's been here before. Yeah, <laughs> not a pitch. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, he is in sales for sure. So you already know. I always closing. Uh-uh. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, it's like a ghost. It's, it's like a, a ghost. all right because he. I didn't even know he was still on there. <laughs> <laughs> I could hear him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like an unembodied, disembodiment. Um, all right, uh, Lou, how can they I'm find you? Around. We already know how to find Greg because he just told us about all the good products he's working on. Float, float fermentations. Float, float on. And uh, how about you, Lou? Uh, I'm on them Instagrams, uh, Lou Belgium. All right. Yo. You can find me at I am 302 Yo on Instagram. You forgot. <laughs> you forgot who you are. I am uh When he become when he becomes a ghost, he loses his memory. <laughs> um and you can uh find Bruising Banner Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can even say, "Hey Alexa, play Bruising and Banter" because we are on Amazon Music as well. If you want to follow me, Rob G. There it is, Rob. Stay bruising, uh, right there. There I am. <laughs> if you didn't know, 
Uh, remember to smash that like button on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Yo, and man, we need more follows and more subscribers. Right. I'm putting it out there. Get out there and hit the subscribe button. Right. Hit, the, hit a like or something. Right. Rate, rate and review because that always helps if you want to see. That works too. Do all good good stuff and make sure you download. Um, if you want to see the merch, you can go to www.brews and banter. You can buy the merch. I don't have it on right now, but so I don't know why I'm showing you the shirt. I don't have it on. <laughs> <laughs> but it does say it does say what are you drinking today, fella? So it is. Oh, that's merch. That's definitely merch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's definitely merch. That's yeah. trademarked. Right, Maybe. Right. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is, but okay. No. Yeah. It is now. Don't trademark it. Yeah, it's trademarked as of today. By the time you hear it. It is. Um, Greg, thank you very much, Greg. Appreciate right, you. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me, guys. I want to thank uh, Greg again for coming on. This is episode 130 of Bruce and Bennett Podcast. <laughs> Until next time. Have a good week, everyone. Facts. All my hunters turn to racks. All my ladies turn to snacks. SUVs black on black on SUVs black on black. I was fucking up, but now I'm back on track. That's a fact. For layman yawn, that's on Jack. I didn't turn the penthouse sweet into my natural habitat. I